downcast my soul and he's talking to himself he's not talking to somebody else's soul he's speaking to himself for a moment said why are you so downcast why are you so worried David he says put your hope in God trust him and and we see this with David where he's like it's this battle with his soul that says I don't want to do it I don't I'm fearful I'm worried I don't want to take that step I'm susceptible to all these different things and I'm I have fear of man and what happens to my reputation and what happens to uh, my life and what happens when I take this step? Am I going to be stable? And you see the spirit, David speak to himself and say, why so downcast? Why are you so low? And David had plenty of reasons to be downcast, but he still looks himself in the mirror and says, put your hope in God. Trust God. And I was just singing that part. It's, it's a challenge for ourselves saying, why do I worry? Maybe some of you guys came this morning with so many anxieties and worries, school starting, and, and maybe that's got you on the edge. Maybe something radical happened to you over the summer, and you're like, I don't know if what the fire that God put in my heart is going to last throughout the school year. Maybe you're at a place where you're in between jobs, and you're like, am I ever going to find a job? Maybe there's chaos in your home. Maybe there's chaos in your relationships. Maybe you're going through something really dark right now that you have no reason with earthly eyes to say, yeah, this is going to be hopeful. But you can still look at yourself and say, why do I worry? There's always the game changer involved. There's always, you know, this, just the, the, the one that's there that can change anything. And, and we come into this worship environment and we slide through, but I challenge you, as we just sing this a couple more times, would you speak to yourself this morning and say, God, why do I worry? Why do I worry? Has God given you a reason to worry yet? Has God given you a reason to worry yet? Scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Come on, even now, just take a moment. Talk to yourself for a second. Encourage yourself. Build yourself up. Paul tells Timothy, fan your own flame. Fan it. Fan it. Don't let the world choke it out. Don't let the cares of this world, as we see in the parable of the sower, don't let it choke out the seed. Don't let your worries come in and whatever God's doing in your heart right now. To suffocate it with worries, to suffocate it with simple things that God can take care of. When God says, look at the birds of the air, who takes care of them? Look at the lilies, who takes care of them? Why do you think that I won't treat you any better? God says that you being evil can give gifts. How much more? How much more does your Father in heaven give? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That is good. Thank you, Jesus. We've all lived 
a while, enough, even though we're, we're young, we've all lived enough to have had the chance to go through some stuff. Hmm? Or we know people, loved ones, family, friends close to us, who've gone through some stuff. And that's an understatement. And you know one of the difficulties in life, whether you're a Christian or not, even if you're a non-Christian, one of the difficulties in life, it's the very thing that the philosophers all throughout the ages have tried to wrestle with and solve. It's, it's the very thing that our, our psychologists, once they, psychology came on the scene with Jung and Freud and Skinner and Maslow, my psychology majors, you in here? Anybody? Anybody? Did you stand? <laughs> okay, so you're familiar with them. Um, we as, as a people have wrestled with, it's, it's not so much that we go through things that are painful and that hurt and that are difficult, and sometimes even to the point of unbearable. It's what makes it even worse, what co compounds it all is when you can't put any meaning to it. When there's no, as they say, rhyme or reason. When you pass through something like that, maybe it's sexual abuse at a young age by an uncle or some distant relative on a holiday evening or weekend, or at a camp, Christian camp, by a camp counselor that should have known better, that was entrusted, or, or maybe it was physical abuse at the hands of someone that you thought you could trust but who finally crossed the line and broke. Or maybe it was the loss of a grandparent or a parent or a sibling at an early age where you had all sorts of plans and expectations that you were going to see them around, that they were going to see your middle school graduation, your high school graduation, your college graduation. In fact, they were even going to be there when you wore that white dress or when you found the woman of your dreams to share in that joy together with you. Or maybe you had all sorts of hopes and expectations when you went off to college only to find out that college wasn't exactly what you had imagined, only to be met with one challenges. Or maybe you grew up with parents and adults telling you, you could be anything you set your mind to. It doesn't matter what it is. Don't let anybody ever tell you, you can't be that or do this and the other. And then that time of yours arrives into your late teenage years or college, and all of the dreams and the plans that you had, all of the doors that you dreamed would be opened up for you eventually, that everyone assured you, knowing you would be opened up for you, only to be closed, only never to be opened. Or perhaps you, you had expectations of entering into a relationship, and you thought, huh, I'm not going to be like her or them or like him. When I get into a relationship, it's going to be the right one. I'm going to wait until the right one comes around. And so you finally give your heart to somebody that you think is the one, only to find those hopes of yours, those feelings of yours, those expectations of yours crushed. And you're there thinking, could I ever do it again? You know, you see, you don't need to be a Christian or a non-Christian to go through things like this. And it's not so much that we go through things like that. Again, what makes it even more difficult is when we can't put any reason 
or bring any meaning to just what, to what just happened, whether that's in our recent past or our distant past, or maybe you're in here right now going through some stuff. Well, I want to tell you, based on what we're about to look at today in God's Word, for the Christian, there's hope. For the Christian, there's hope. We're in Philippians in chapter 1 today. If you've been with us, you know that we're going through a sermon series, and we typically like to mix it up a bit throughout the years, so sometimes we'll go through a book of the Bible, an actual whole book of the Bible. Sometimes, if it's a large book, we'll just take a a section of that book of the Bible and go through it and see what God has for us as a church. Other times, we'll take a, a doctrine, a theme, a Christian doctrine, and we'll go wherever the Scriptures speak to that and address that particular doctrine. Other times we'll, we'll go after a felt need of yours or mine or, or ours or what we know is going on, and we'll tackle that felt need from the Scriptures. Other times we may take a cultural issue that we realize has really gotten a hold of our society, and it, it just makes sense to pause whatever we've been preaching on and address that particular matter because that's what's pressing on, on the hearts of God's people. Amen? Uh, but in this particular series, we're, we're going through a, a book of the Bible, and that book is the book of Philippians. And if you've been with us, that's wonderful. If you're just now joining us in this series, I'm glad you're on board. Um, we're in Philippians, and at this point, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. We're going to read just verses 12, 13, and 14. Philippians 12, 13, and 14. Paul says there, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, pathway, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Father, we pray now that as we're about to spend these next few moments in your word, we ask, Lord, for your presence. We ask for your provision. Holy Spirit, we need you. And we ask, Lord God, that you would take this word and use it in a way, Lord God, that would go far and wide and deep in each of our lives. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him the title of my sermon for today. You ready? You got a neighbor? (laughs) You want to go over to her? (laughs) It ain't for nothing. It ain't for nothing. Yep, that's right. That thing, that thing you're going through at this very moment, it ain't for nothing. Whatever it was that happened to you, it ain't for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. The Apostle Paul, at this particular point in his letter written to this particular Philippian church, is about to take the pains to begin updating them on what they aren't privy to about his situation and his condition. Up till now, you can imagine when he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, it implies 
that the Philippians were not totally clueless about Paul and his predicament. It's just that they knew half the story. Hmm? You ever been in a Twitter feed where two people are going back and forth? Or you ever heard somebody who said, did you hear? What, 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 what? And they just told you the side or the part that they know, but they left a whole lot of stuff out? You ever been on one end of a phone call in your house, but you didn't have a chance to hear? It's very difficult to draw conclusions when you just got a part of the story. And Paul knew with the kind of love and regard that this church had for their apostle, their spiritual father, that to be left with just half the news was going to be a miserable thing to be able to bear. And so out of a mutual love for this particular church, Paul wanted to make it a point early on in his writing to catch them up, to make, they, make sure that they knew the whole story and not just part of the story. And so he says, I know you're aware that because I've been preaching the gospel, because I've been out there living for Jesus, it got me into a little trouble, understatement. And I got picked up and taken to Rome and seized and put into a prison. And I'm sure about right now, you're thinking to yourselves, I could just imagine it in that church. He's dead. He's good as dead. In fact, we're even wondering if there's even any point sending our ministers to even go there to check on him. And so he has a concern for them, and he wants to let them know, I want you to know, brothers, the, some reasoning or meaning behind not just what happened in my life, but what God did through it. You see, that's exactly what it's like even in our own lives. When we don't just go through what we go through, but that's all we've got. We don't have the other side of the story. You see, for me, the one thing that could help me get through some stuff is, it's not just being spared all that, but it's even if I have to pass through some stuff that I may have not wished on myself or the next man, or have prayed for for that matter. As long as I could attach some meaning to it, I believe I'm going to be fine. That's what we're looking for is, is there a purpose behind all of this? That's the question that everyone is asking. Is there a reason that helps me revisit this situation and say, okay, that's what Paul is saying in this first part. But it's not just the fact that I need a reason or a, or a purpose behind the things that have been done to me or that have happened to me. It's I need to know that despite all of that and through all of that, my life can still count at the end of the day. That that experience, that those set of experiences don't define me. That my life is not in my past that I don't need to live in my rearview mirror, that there's still a future ahead of me and for me regardless of what's in my backstory. And that was Paul. Here he is, you could imagine, in his prison alone. Anybody struggling with loneliness? Anybody wished a call would have been brought to you this weekend? A text, an email, a personal visitation? Here Paul is... Not only alone, his situation is uncertain. He has no idea whether or not he's going to see the light of day again. Anybody in that kind of a situation where it's not so much that you're going through it, it's you're not sure if this is just going to be the rest of your life. And Paul says here, 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, church, that what has happened to me has really served to advance huh, the gospel. The gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, Caesar's household, his palace, and to all the rest, that means all of Rome, even outside of the walls of the prison. That means the city has got wind of this. My situation apparently has gone viral. I'm making headlines. Why? Not just because I'm in prison, because there's a whole lot of other folk in here too. So then what's, what's the difference about my story over against my cellmates? For Christ. Don't miss that phrase. Sometimes a whole sermon could be just in two words, for Christ. That my imprisonment is for Christ. It's for a purpose. It's for a meaning. It's for something that helps me realize that my life isn't meaningless. You see, that's what we deal with in our day and age. Paul identifies with you and me. Maybe you're, you're somebody in a situation where you could be in a marriage. You could be in a significant relationship. And you had all sorts of plans and expectations for this thing, only to find that relationship of yours if you're with a significant one, or a marriage of yours if you're with an actual spouse, to hit the rocks. And you're wondering, wow, I never envisioned this for us. It's like nobody ever wishes a marriage to look like this. How long is this going to last? It almost feels like a, a prison. It almost feels like, I know it's not a prison, but it, it sure does feel like a prison. A prison is you're confined. A prison is you're limited. You're not free. Your options have been reduced. And sometimes that's what it could feel like. And you're like, everything within you wants to say, you know what? I'm out of this. I only live once. I only got one shot. My life counts too much for me to be stuck in this sort of situation. Oh, it sure does feel good to want to just bail on this thing and try it all over again with somebody else. And maybe everyone around you is saying, no, 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 give it another shot. Just one more moment, one more year, one more season. But I can't. It's a prison. I don't like this situation. What if you were in my shoes? Would you still be saying the same things? What if you were married to the same person I was? Would you still have the same sort of counsel or advice? Maybe you're someone here who's in a situation where all of the needs and the demands of the family have fallen on you. And you're thinking, but I'm, I'm just a young person. What young person do you know in their family who has to shoulder this kind of a responsibility? I've got to take care of my younger siblings and my older siblings, and I've got to still have dreams of my own and personal plans of my own at the same time, and at the same time care about everybody else. And I've got somebody sick and in need. I'm just a codependent in my home. And based on the situation and how I don't see things turning around anytime soon, I feel like this is my lot. Is there even any point in having a plan or a purpose or a desire or a dream for myself? Or maybe you're someone who kept your nose clean and you took the straight path, but you got people in your family who've just been blowing it left and right, in and out of prison or in and out of one drama or situation, just sucking the life out of moms and pops. And here you are, 
faulted, getting the short end of the stick, at least you feel that way because all of the energy, all of the attention, all of the time on the part of everybody in the family has got to be directed toward this black sheep. And you're thinking, I'm in prison. I'm in prison. Maybe you're somebody who, like me at one time, I remember I had it good. It took me a number of years growing up in school to be able to amass the kind of friends I did. And it was good. And you take it for granted to be able to have that many friends all around you and never have to feel alone. And then that day comes where that school offer another grade level and you have to now move on to a whole nother school. And you think, oh, it's just going to be just like before. And then you get there, and you're like a little fish dropped into a sea to start all over again with no friends. And you're wondering, this sucks. It's like, this college has how many thousands of students? And I came from, I had it good with my community. I didn't think I was going to feel it this much. I thought school and studies and homework and deadlines and exams and just my desire to want to make it was going to be enough to keep me on track, but I'm kind of feeling a little lonely. Is this what people talk about? It's never hit me, and it hits you hard, and you're wondering, can I even make it? Can I even make it? Or maybe you're in a situation where you lead a business or you have the kind of job that isn't the kind of job that allows you to be around all sorts of people you got to be away from the family. I remember that season where I traveled a lot. It was hard. Oh, it was great to see people meet Jesus and come to Christ. It was wonderful to see people impacted and to hear the responses of people. You know, it was, I praise God for that. But I tell you, every time I came back to that hotel, I didn't have my wife and my kids, though. And every time I do FaceTime on them, I said, I don't care about how many were packed in that building and what happened there. I feel alone in here. This sucks. I'm ready for that flight back home. Maybe you've been a stay-at-home or you're a stay-at-home mom or, or maybe you're a parent with, with young children and you remember that time where you were single or you were married without children and you could just get up and go and do as you please and, and connect with everybody else. You didn't miss a beat. Wherever the event or the program was, you were there. Somebody was always in your face. And then there's just something about small children and the demands with parenting and that season where you can't just keep climbing up the corporate ladder and building a family and a legacy in a meaningful way, and you have to make a choice, at least for a season. And you go from certificates and awards and a desk and a cubicle and department meetings and supervisors that praise you and all sorts of people that have eyes on what you're doing and all the incentive from that to you're alone. Nobody saw what you just did. Nobody saw that diaper changed. Nobody saw that child put down for a nap. Nobody saw that book you read to this kid. Nobody saw that, that devotion that you gave to that child. Nobody saw any of that. All of the ways in which you were motivated wherever you were, it's, it's not there. And you can't, at this stage, get anything from them. It's this way. It's all this way, at least for a season. And it's like, is this what parenting is about? Oh, man, I'd much rather be there where everyone praises me and sees what I'm doing than here. And you're like, is there a reason? Is there a rhyme or a reason? I'm here to tell you it ain't for nothing. You see, Paul felt that. 
You see, it was one thing to be a planter out there and everybody's looking at him and sees the church plant and sees people. Wow, I see him calling people to faith and, yep, he's raising their hand. They're coming forward. He's praying for them. I see the altar. Wow, wonderful. That's easy. When people just Facebook live it or Insta live it and just post it to share on their story so that it's not just known by the people who are present even if people weren't there, they get a chance to see it, and there's a, there's a kind of a reward you get from that. But what do you do when the only person who sees what you're doing is just you and God? And you feel alone. You feel like, man, I feel like I'm in prison with these kids. Maybe you've been, you know kids, or maybe you were that person, or, or maybe you have teenagers, and you're wondering, like, I read every book. I took every advice. I listened to every mentor. I visited every parent with kids around my, what would be my age. And I thought I would be ready for this season only to find myself clashing with this kid. I used to call them a blessing, but now I, it's not appropriate in this Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, what? Is this parenting? I thought it was going to be a joy, but I can't get through to this kid. Nothing I say, nothing I do seems to matter to him or to her. I just feel like parenting is a prison. Maybe you're someone who has someone physically disabled or disabled in other ways, at least held back in one way or another, and you realize there's no change coming very soon. And as far as the world looks at that and they say, good luck, you're in prison. And if the truth be told, you're looking at yourself and what they're saying, and you're like, you know what? I kind of believe you because there's even no point in thinking about myself and what God wants to do with me when I have a situation like this. I can't dish this off to anybody else. This is my lot, and I'm in prison. I feel like I'm in prison. You know, Paul, I'm sure, the Bible tells us Elijah was a man subject like us. The reason why James had to tell us that is because all we know is the Elijah that called down fire. All we know is the Elijah that called out 400 prophets and made them tap out. All we know is the Elijah that just flexed for his God. But James says, no, 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 no. I know you see that, but there's a whole other side of Elijah. He was just a man like you and me. Paul was just a man like you and me. Yes, he was the apostle, but he was just a man prone to the same temptations and struggles and soul-wrenching experiences like you and me. And he says, you know what? Even though I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying right now, this isn't how my journey started. When I first got in here, who you don't want me to pen what went through my heart and my mind. And maybe some of us are like that. Maybe some of us are still there and we're not here. But my prayer is by the time we get done today, you'll be where Paul is. And Paul says, what does Paul say? Even though I may have started out that way thinking, about myself, my lot, my situation, the way that I did, look what he says. I want you to know, though, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, what Paul said is, look, I was able to see a situation like this, like the ones I brought up, and realize, however unfortunate it may have been, however hard it may have been, God is still God. And he was able to take that situation and turn it around to advance his purpose. That's what it means to advance the gospel. His purpose in and through my life. 
You see, Paul says, it didn't go away. I'm still in prison. You see, there's something better than walking away from that spouse. There's something better than giving up on that kid. There's something better than walking away from your dreams. There's something better than walking away from difficult relationships. There's something better than just choosing the easy path. It's knowing that God is with you as you're passing through what you're passing through. You see, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You see, if, if our God is for us, just not only who, what can be against us? What can be introduced into my life? A difficult marriage, stubborn kids, a hard relationship, colleagues that are hard to work with, you name it. What can be against us? Because God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, he's working all things, even this imprisonment. He's working this imprisonment for Paul for his good. Even though it may not be good in and of itself, Paul stuck with it. And that's what I'm praying is that you hang in there, you stand firm in that marriage, that you remain firm in that relationship, that you stand firm with this church, that no matter how difficult things may be with working with people, that no matter how difficult it may be representing Christ on your campuses, no matter how hard your, your family situation may be, you're looking at it and you're like, I don't see any family more dysfunctional than our family. I don't see anything good coming out of that. You better believe again because God is saying, I'm not done with it, so you shouldn't be done with it. Joseph. Joseph had every opportunity given his situation with a little bit of time to be able to look back on that situation after all that his brothers did to him and conspiring against him to be able to do him in, sell him off for some chump change to Egypt only so that they could rid themselves of him, to finally have the opportunity to revisit them and encounter them for them to discover our brother isn't dead. Not only is he not dead, he's second in command. This man has power to where he could do virtually anything to us. It's curtains. It's over. And Joseph says, chill. Don't fret. Stop thinking like that in your head. Whatever it was that you may well have done, God sent me here. God sent you. I thought they got together, huddled together, and conspired to sell you. That's right. But God sent me here. Paul, advance the gospel. I thought you just were complaining about being in prison. God sent me here. God sent me here. Paul says in Ephesians in chapter 4, I, a prisoner of the Lord. You ever hear that? Again and again, he says, a prisoner of the Lord. You never saw that, have you? Notice, he didn't say a prisoner of Nero. That's true, isn't it? He says, no. He says, if I'm, a fr if I'm free, I'm free in the Lord. If I'm a prisoner, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Paul never let anybody define him or brand him, or give him an identity because he had one himself. Paul didn't wait to have to be out or in to find his identity. It didn't, his identity was not associated with his location. His identity was not associated with his circumstance. 
His identity was not associated with whatever season or situation he found himself in. My identity as a Christian is not based on, does not predicate itself upon how good and ideal my marriage is or how decent and law-abiding and how behaving my children are. My identity in Christ is not predicated upon how good things are going at work and what my pay grade looks like or how things are going at school. All hell could be breaking loose. That says nothing about me and my God and my relationship with him. You see, Paul got there. Paul got there. He wasn't there in the beginning. He was tempted to think, oh, I had all sorts of fond thoughts about God and his purpose and what it means to be a Christian when I was out. But as soon as I got into prison, I chucked this stuff. These promises no longer matter. And God says, nope. And I think that's important as Christians. Because what ends up happening is we're prepared to follow Jesus and we're prepared to be all into this stuff so long as life is going as planned. But as soon as stuff starts getting introduced into our life that we never anticipated, we never prayed for, we never saw it coming, all of a sudden we're like, uh, Jesus, I'll catch you later when things begin to change with my life. And Jesus says no. And Jesus says no. He says, it, it doesn't matter what may be going on in my life. And Paul says here, it served to advance the gospel. You see, what happens is Paul realized I, all my energy was getting drained, murmuring and complaining about my lot and my situation. And sometimes we, we, we feel like that, don't we? It's like I'm in a difficult marriage in a difficult season, and rather than seeing that as God's purpose and God's plan, the difficulty, that he wants to get glory out of it, that part of the way he permitted the difficulty in the marriage is so that I can find a way to be able to honor him through the difficulty by how I come out on the other end and so that I can show how I can serve the other person rather than simply get what I want out of the relationship and be an example and a witness to others that point everyone through my marriage to Christ. Instead, I murmur and I complain. I'm in prison. The same thing could be said if I'm not in, married and I'm, I'm single, I'm, I'm in prison. I thought by this time, this year, this month, he would come around and take me or I would find her. But I'm still single. What's going on here, God? I'm in prison. And Paul says, and you should say, what has happened to me being single longer than I imagined when I was 15 or 16 or 17? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm not too sure I would have seen God show up in my life the way he did, use me the way he did, bless me the way he did, had I not embraced my singleness as a purpose of God's in my life. You see, Paul didn't wait, need to wait to be in some ideal situation to begin to see God's hand in his life. God's hand was always in his life no matter what was going on. I hope you hold on to this because any of you, any number of us are in all sorts of seasons and situations. And I want to let you know, that's what's so encouraging about being a Christian. This is the hope that a believer has, is that I could look at a situation like this. What did Joseph say? Genesis 50 and 20. What you may well have meant or intended for evil, God, on the other hand, 
meant for good. It's not so much what has happened to me as it is what happened to what happened to me. You see, for the child of God, there's always hope. For the child of God, you're always in God's hand. Paul knew this. Every Christian see this. That whatever the world says about this, God intends for good to save many lives this day. If I'm a parent looking at my situation like miserable, boring, I, it doesn't draw the best out of me. Out there, Fortune 500, in the world, where everybody gives accolades, where everybody praises, where everybody gives certificates and trophies for, for those kinds of things, that's where it counts. I'm never going to be able to give my energy and my time to the very people that are in my sphere that need to be raised up in a godly way. Because all that energy, all that emotional and mental energy, complaining about my lot, my season, which is only a season, is given toward complaining toward God rather than saying, all right, God, how can I redeem this situation? It may be five years. It may be three years. It may be six years. How can I see you in this situation? And how can I be most used by you so that I could bring that into the next season of my life? You see, if you're single, there's nothing about putting a ring on that's going to fix the situation. If you're married, there's nothing about taking the ring off that's going to necessarily fix the situation. If you're making 30K a year and you're grumbling and complaining and not able to see God and be grateful to God in that situation, 75K plus is not going to fix the situation. Paul says your joy ought to be where? In Christ. Lastly, verse 14. He tells us, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So it's not, it's, so it's not only that I got reason, I got, I got a reason, I got a purpose for which God has allowed this in my life. That's one. My life could actually make a difference in somebody else's life now. He's saying, get wind of this. People are figuring out about my situation. They're learning about my situation. They're not only learning about it, Christians are far more confident and assured of their own walk with the Lord as a result of peeping me out and how I've chosen to relate to my situation and interpret it. Don't underestimate what sort of an effect and an impact your response to the things that are introduced into your life are having on the people around you. For good or for bad? For good or for bad? When I gripe and complain and murmur and I just feed off negativity, guess what? That doesn't speak well of Christ. That doesn't advance the gospel. That doesn't bear witness to how good this God of ours is. But when I, when I receive my situation and I, and I begin to praise God for it, and I begin to thank God through it. And I begin to look to God to see what he's up to as I'm passing through this. And look for ways in which he can use me while I'm in it. Guess what? It has a, it has a huge impact on the people around us. That's what God wants. God wants to be able to look at those parents and say, man, I've seen parents with children, but 
it kind of looks like you actually enjoy being around those kids. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> it actually looks like you really like what you're doing. Like you're not waiting for them to hit 18 and then giving them the boot. Like you really are vested in this thing. You're not just trying to be a caretaker. You're actually trying to be someone who's investing into their lives. For you, I get the impression it's not enough for just a roof and some food on the table and, and a bed to sleep on. You want to give them more than just basic provisions. That speaks to something. you got to tell me more about yourself. When you go to work and you're in that break room and you hear everybody, I've been there, I've done that, I haven't been a pastor forever, right? And you just hear those folk just going at it until he comes in or she comes in. We're going at it with the, after each other, and you don't jump in. There's something strange about that because that's the norm. When you find yourself in your situation with your family or your, your siblings, and you are tempted in every way to want to say, you know what, why, God, did you ever allow me to be born into this family? How come it is that all of the attention and all of the energy on the part of my family and my parents goes toward this kid or this side of the family, but I'm the overlooked person. You're now tempted to want to go back to that situation and look at it with an entirely different lens and say, wait a second here. God wants me to relate to this situation. Why? Because most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, how do they become confident? Not just by becoming confident, in my imprisonment. Listen, by my imprisonment, <laughs> Paul's imprisonment resulted in a bunch of people getting on fire for Jesus. <laughs> Your situation, that difficult relationship that you're in, your singleness, your marriage, how you relate to your profession, wherever you may find yourself, that you are tempted to see as prison, God says he wants people to look in on that who are all around your life, who are close enough to peep you out and be able to get on fire for Jesus by your imprisonment. I know, we look back at ourselves and say, oh my goodness, I feel horrible. Just this morning, I was just complaining. <laughs> just this weekend, just, just this past week, just this past month, I feel like I've let so much time pass by looking at my situation and having a whole nother take on it and therefore missing the possibility of seeing people's lives impacted for Jesus as a result of it to where I'm be beginning to even be tempted to wonder, is there even any chance after now? And I'm here to tell you there is. There is. Today is the day of salvation. Every day is a, a day of new beginnings. God's able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God's able to tell you, look, forget the former things. I'm making all things new. You there today? Maybe you're somebody here who came into this place one way. But God says, if you'll entrust your situation into my hands. I'm not telling you it's going to go. I'm not, gonna tell, I'm not telling you I'm going to poof it out of here. That may well happen. But for however long it may be going on, are you prepared to entrust your situation into my hands so that I can do something with your life and through your life that will justify everything you've had to pass through so that you could say, now I feel like my life 
this body on this planet counts for something for a change. Because up till now, I just felt like I'm a victim of this and a, a victim of that and a victim of the other. And I'm beginning to think, is there any point as to why exactly, like Jeremiah put it, why exactly did you even give birth to me, Jeremiah said. Why did you even allow me to see the light of day? I want you to know, after today, God wants to take every one of your situations and circumstances and let you know, if, if you belong to him, all things. How many things? Not some. All things work together. Even that, yes, what's in your head. Even that, especially that. In fact, that's the, the all, not the other stuff we don't need anybody's help with. It's that all. God's prepared to work all things together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. And now your agenda is his agenda. Your aims in your life are his aims for your life. Your goals are his goals. Your plans are his plans because you belong to him. You're going to be indestructible. It ain't for nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we bless you. I know this is not easy at all. It's better said than lived out. I get that. However, whatever may be impossible with man, our Bible tells us that nothing is impossible for our God. And so, Father, we look to you. It's like that song we sing, God, I look to you. We look to you in this hour, at this time. We bring our circumstances, we bring our situations, we bring our families, we bring our lot. We bring our quote-unquote imprisonment before you and say, God, help me to look at this in a whole nother light. If you did it for Paul, do it for me. If his life ended up eventually counting for something, God, may my life count for something as well. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you, Father, who did not even spare your own son when you had every right to, but rather instead you, you gave him up. You, you gave him up for us all. How will you not then, if that was the case, if you did that, if you went that far, help me out here exactly, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? You will. You will. You will. We love you, Father, but that's only because you first loved us. Help us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you because you came into this world. You took on skin to be able to identify with us so that when we find ourselves in difficult prison-like situations like ours right now, we can go to you. You're the kind of God that's able to be drawn near to because you're a high priest who's, not, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We got weaknesses today in this room, God, and we thank you that you're here and you're present and you're able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You were tempted just like we were and tested in every way, yet without sin. And so, Father, we pray. Jesus, we ask. Just like you in your humanity said, Father, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this prison pass from me. 
Let this marriage pass from me. Let this singleness pass from me. Let this season on this school campus where I feel alone pass from me. Let this job situation pass from me. Let this season of unemployment where I never thought I would be unemployed this long. I thought I would have a job by now. Let this season of prison-like unemployment pass from me. Let this time in which I feel like everything is placed on me as a responsibility in my home. Father, if it's your will, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Yours be done. May your will prevail in each of our lives, I pray. Do this, we ask. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Let's please meet and greet.